Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second week of the Playful Experiences podcast. My name is Matthew DeLine. I'm your host here with a group of graduate students from Goldsmiths University of London who are studying independent games and playable experience design. I'll go around basically a roundtable format in the uh, room here, and I'll have people introduce themselves real quick. To my left is... Tommy. I'm Billy. And Ben. So you'll notice two of the voices are familiar from last week. The hope is uh, over the course of this year to sort of have other people from our group as well as outside people come and join us, uh, not just for interviews, but also to join us in this sort of place where we have the ability to share our own experiences, living in London, playing games, and how that relates to the course that we've been playing so far. So uh, without further ado, I'd sort of like to open this up here real quick and just sort of ask other people what games they've been playing and uh, how that's been going. So I know, Ben, you'd been mentioning previously you were playing Stardew Valley last week. Have you still been playing? Are you playing anything new? Uh, no, I well, I've play, I'm playing something new. I've left Stargy Valley because uh, it's depressing me. Um, <laughs> no one in the village seems to like me, no matter what I give them, and it's yeah, it's, it's turned negative. So the games that I've played this week is uh, Engari, which was released I think two or three days ago, uh, which is a game, a puzzle game about Middle Eastern design, and kind of has a an element a little bit like a spirograph. But it's about placing dots on moving shapes and then watching the line that is drawn by those moving shapes. Um, and you have to match uh, a line or a kind of graph that you're seeing above. And it seems simple, but it's incredibly difficult. And it's one of those puzzle games where you think the game's broken because you've been playing it for two hours and there's, you think <laughs> there's no way you're going to do it. And then suddenly you just managed to work it out. Yeah, and so, and so, so what platforms is that on? I think, I'm, I know it's on Steam, Okay. I'd, I'd be really surprised if it wasn't coming to mobile platforms if it's not already. So is it more sort of like you're interacting primarily with a mouse? Yes, okay. yeah, it's, a, it's a point, so really the only kind of uh, interaction you have is just placing a point on the screen. Okay, Yeah. cool. Um, Billy, how about yourself? Have you been playing anything this week? Um, this week has been pretty hectic for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've been meaning to finish Prey. Uh, really? Yeah, okay. Um, I'm on the last um, sort of chapter of the game now, and okay. uh, sort of like all the story threads are coming to an end. Um, yeah. If you haven't played Prey, it's like a really good game in sort of like the immersive sim sort of vein, so sort of like Deus Ex, uh, uh, System Shock, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, at, from the start of the game, it really, um, the first 30 minutes really gets you because there's this really good twist that if okay. you haven't played, you should check it out because there's a demo on Steam, but... Okay. I, I tried to demo out just to see if my game could run it, and then I got hooked. Yeah. But if you haven't played it, go check it out because it's really awesome. And um, the story just kind of builds on itself, and just, you, you do get more and more questions. And then I'm at the point now where it's sort of like I'm going to get the answer. So. Yeah, okay, so you're really getting, getting, getting really close and hoping to sort of yeah. catch up to that. So. I, I just need time to play it because it's one of them games you can't just play for 10 minutes you, you, get, you get sucked in you get sucked yeah. in you have to keep going I mean, I mean I think maybe I should have opened this up by talking about how everybody is doing in terms of this a, a lot of us are here on their own time and I want to take some time here not only just to thank the listeners for listening to the podcast and taking times out of their day but also for the people that have come to join me doing this because it's a completely extra thing uh, that I think is awesome a really good way for us to sort of get to know each other a little bit better and grow as a team uh for a lot of us, this is our very first podcast, yep. <laughs> uh, so bear with us as we learn and grow. But uh, hopefully this learning experience, uh, we learn as you learn, and, and this becomes something really cool for us to collaborate on. So, uh, yeah, cool. Uh, anything else that you've been playing, Billy? Um, I've been playing Stardew Valley as well. Okay, cool. Um, 
uh, like when no, I haven't been having having any success giving gifts to anyone. Yeah, I think you have to like work out what they want because I've been giving like seeds and plants to random yeah. people. Yeah. You know? Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're so mean. They're just kind of like, wow, that's a great gift. Yeah. Yeah. Here's this fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think um, if you work out from the context of their conversation what they like, like I think this girl likes speech stuff. So if you get if you get her seashells and stuff like that, she'll be happy. Cool. See, that's kind of creepy though. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> you're following these people around, trying to work out what they want, and then you're giving them stuff to try and get them to be your friends. Yeah. And I remember that from school. And that well, never works. It, it, no, it never does. And it's really sort of like I mean, this is a game mechanic that's pulled directly from Harvest Moon, where basically different characters would respond to different gifts differently. And the way to increase your relationship level with those characters is to give them gifts. Now, if you try doing that in real life, it doesn't look it's really not a good idea. I mean, if you start, you know, say, for example, like you start buying, a, you know, someone flowers and you keep buying them flowers to increase your relationship with them, that's not how relationships in the real world work. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an odd model that for a game that sort of represents something in an abstract manner that I don't think necessarily works and I think might be a fundamental thing that could be changed in another game like that. Mm. Uh, with that said, I really like those games. So um, before we sort of move on and talk to the other games that we've been playing, I brought up Stardew Valley because there's something really interesting that I did want to talk about briefly. Um, the reason being is uh, I read this really cool article on Polygon.com where uh, someone was talking about how this concept of the magic circle functions in games. And this idea is not just for games, but for a lot of different media. And in, se in a sense, sort of like this idea is sort of it's a, a way to use specific techniques to invite someone to enter your magic circle or enter the world that you created. And in this case, they were talking about how Stardew Valley uses this music, as a lot of other things will use, like the first time you hear the Zelda theme in Ocarina of Time or, uh, you know, other things to sort of say, okay, well, here, I've created this space, you're welcome to enter it, and this is you choosing to be a part of that space, and therefore the world becomes real for you. I'll try to put a link to this in the show notes, but it's a really interesting concept that I think is really important that, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this. We've been talking about different layers of, of player experience in class and this idea of a sensory layer, this idea of this, this music being something that the player experiences and then from there, they're able to um, uh, sort of interact with their own lived-in experiences to be able to say, hey, I am choosing to be a part of this world. I'm on a farm. I am doing this thing. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really sort of... Uh, experiencing this because I'm choosing to. And I think that that relates to all different kinds of things like being in a classroom and saying, hey, I'm here to learn. I'm part of this experience. I'm part of this magic circle. It goes all the way back to oral traditions of telling stories around fireplaces. And I think in another way, not to totally get off on a super tangent here, um, it's also related to some of the concepts we've been exploring in our, uh, some of us are taking a virtual reality class as well, where we're talking about the concept of credibility and how credible in experiences as it relates to your ability to, uh, you know, believe that something is happening is real. Um, and it's sort of like this buy-in, this sense of suspension of disbelief that you take towards uh, an experience to say, hey, I'm going to be a part of this. This thing is real. Um, and I think this idea that the, the magic circle is really interesting and they relate it to sort of mobile experiences like Stardew Valley, things that didn't start off on mobile experience. I think uh, the three of us are all playing Stardew Valley on Switch, yeah. um, which is, I think, a really, really great way to play it. However, the argument that the writer in the article on Polygon.com that I've been discussing here makes is that with a res uh, return from suspend 
option in a game, you are no longer going through the journey that a developer set. So you don't go through the title screen. You don't go. You you don't hear this music that sort of invites you back into that circle. You don't have the set routine that you're required to in other platforms where you have to finish your day in order to save. So that journey that the developer has created specifically to elicit certain emotions is therefore broken. So. This is a question that I don't have an answer to, and I think might be really interesting to answer over the course of the class to say, hey, can we find a way to make this work? Because I have no idea. I mean, what, what do you guys think? Well, on, on a Switch platform, you mean? Or? Well, just in general, like with games that restore from suspend, mm. is there any way that you can think of that might make that work? I mean, how, how would you, if you were to take an experience, how would you re-enter somebody if they have the ability to break past that? Well, I mean, so for instance, if there was a way for the hardware to tell the software that it was coming out of a suspend, which I'm assuming there is on yeah, the Switch, I'm... it could be something as simple as a, a transition or, um, for instance, in Stardew Valley, if it just shows a location randomly in the area and just showed you a quiet moment in that area before kind of bringing you back to where you were. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, so a like, like you know, quiet, just just, yeah. just sort of like birds chirping in the forest or something off in the distance, yeah. and then it brings it's you back to you. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Would that get annoying for the player though? Because the people for me really <laughs> sure. The people for me is just that I can literally pick it up and then come back in where I left off. Yeah. But um, I get what you mean by the point that it's like um, it kind of breaks uh, the intended ex intended experience. Yeah. Of um, um, getting your mindset into that zone again. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because no. there, there might be gamers that have a very cold reaction to, to this kind of right. magic circle, to this kind of um, like emotive reintroduction of the game where they're just like, that's my I just want to get started. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, it's really something that I wanted to talk about mostly because this idea I find really fascinating. And of course, there's, there's the positive sort of, hey, this is a really cool thing that I'm starting to see all these connections to. Uh, aspect to it, but there's also sort of a reality, and it's 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 important to sort of discuss. Okay, well, how does that actually affect our players when we're talking about designing an experience? So, uh, you know, it's just some food for thought that I think that we should probably return to and approach later once we've got maybe a better understanding of how this all works. Mm -hmm. I think it's definitely quite a new problem because I can't think of many games that you come back from standby. Yeah, mm. yeah. Maybe I mean, it's, it's maybe really, it's a Switch thing. Yeah, so. well, Switch and sort of you got the ability to restore from standby and PS4 and Xbox One, but these are relatively new additions that were functions that were critical to uh, the selling points of those systems when they originally came out. Like, I mean, I remember sort of when the PS4 was originally announced, they were making a big deal of the fact that you could just return from suspend on games, and I don't think it was actually implemented until later on. Mm. So, um, so that's uh, that's 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 cool. Um, Cool. All right. Uh, well, uh, not to get completely sidetracked into this idea of the magic circle in Stardew Valley, I really want to hear what Tommy's been playing. So, Tommy, have you had a chance to get any further in Braid or any yeah, other games? Yeah, I played one game this weekend. It's called Paper Clips, I think. It's oh, okay. a, a prototype that the Phoenix showed in class. And uh, basically, it's a game like Cookie Monster, where you basically click on a lot on different buttons. I don't know really the... ID. But basically, the, f the more you play, the more you understand like the idea of business. So okay, you basically you sell paper clips in the game, and like the more you play it, you understand like for what price do you have to sell it? Uh, how much do you have to invest in your inventory and stuff like that? So I think it's very interesting. Okay, uh, can I ask how far you've got in paper clips? 
Um, <laughs> have you got to like a cause a spoiler part? Yeah, sure. You can tell the spoiler. I, I... Oh no, I don't want to ruin it for you. Definitely, but I would say when you think the game is over, I promise you it's not, and it will go on in ways that will just boggle your mind. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, uh, the only thing I will say is uh, to not give too much away, but it ends up with galactic battles. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Has, I, anybody, has, has anybody else played Frog Fractions? Okay. I, I haven't, but I've heard a lot about okay. it. Okay, so uh, I, I think maybe sort of a thing that would be worth talking about things that subvert expectations. Um, these are great examples of that. I think also things like uh, some of the original clickers that I played, like Candy Box, mm. also do similar things. Uh, as far as this, I haven't played Paper Clips yet, but I'll try to play it for next week so that yeah, we can maybe get it's a really bit. addictive, even though yeah. you only Is click it? on like one button each yeah. time. <laughs> That's why I'm behind on homework. That whole first <laughs> week <laughs> was just paper clips. Just paper clips. Yeah, yeah it's just, just the, the, the thing that started the uh, the descent into madness. It's still just a prototype, right? I think no, the, it's a complete game. Oh, this is it. Game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, wow. it, it's one of those games that it seems like a very small amount of work on the surface, but then you realise it's a huge amount of work that's hidden behind a very simple interface. Yeah. So it's not like a simple clicker game where your numbers go up. It's literally it a bit start, more than that. It starts off like that, okay. and then it adds systems upon systems upon systems, and then takes them all away, and you're like, oh, I'm done. And then it adds another system. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's uh, I, but I don't want to say anything about it. I think so, okay. just there's no ending, right? I haven't reached it yet. Okay. And I haven't played it for weeks. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. That's nice. Oh, yeah. oh, that's crazy. Oh, yeah. Also, I was interested in playing uh, Journey. Okay. But uh, I couldn't find it on Steam. So that's uh, oh, a bit a, sad. It's a, it's a PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 3 exclusive. Oh, so that's really? why. I thought it was on PC as well. No, they, no they, not yet. Well, I'm sad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll find a way to play it together. I love Journey. Yeah, I'm yeah. really interested in playing it because, like, in every like chapter of the book yeah. we are reading, it yeah, just, it mentions Journey. Yeah. So. There, there are a lot of really good reasons for that. I, I mean, not only like, I mean, Journey's actually a, a the soundtrack to Journey alone is something I listen mm. to when I study all the time, mm. and maybe I'm just Same. kind of weird because of, well, I don't know. I, I love listening to soundtracks mm. when I'm studying, but yeah. Mm. Um, and uh, that, Austin Wintry is the composer for that. And he's, he's fantastic, does tons of really good stuff. Uh, I mean, he did most, I mean, the most recent thing that I think I can recall him doing, he actually did the Assassin's Creed Syndicate soundtrack, mm. which I think that there's another Assassin's Creed coming out today or tomorrow or something like that, Origins. Origins. Um, and uh, I don't think he's doing the soundtrack for that, but I don't know. But at any rate, I really like the soundtrack to that because it broke conventions from what the other series were doing. And I like the composer for that one as well. I think Jesper Kidd was his name, K-Y-D. Um, I think we can do it. you can probably do a whole podcast episode just talking about the themes of um, Austin yeah. Winter's music because yeah. I think throughout the whole, the whole um, compilation... He uses the same theme. Yeah. And then there's like a theme for the player, theme for the player you meet, theme for the mountain. Yeah. Because I've been listening, listening to it a lot as well. And it's like... Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really fantastic. Again, like if you're looking for good music to listen to or a good experience, I, I can't recommend Journey enough. I'd like to come back and talk to this maybe once we get a chance to maybe play this all, all of us uh, so that we can talk about this together. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I'll table that part for now. Uh, has anybody else played any other games that they would like to talk about? Um, the only other one I played this week, and I've just scratched the surface of it, is Tacoma. Mm. Oh, okay, so I just got that, but I haven't played it yet. How is okay. that? So that's, that's great. Actually, talking about the Magic Circle, that's got a very good uh, example of that, in which you start off approaching this space station. Um, so I guess 
it's not one that's repeated every time, but it's a really good entry into the game. Yeah. So you kind of see the entire environment as you're kind of coming in, then you dock, and you have a kind of very low, uh, it's not very much interactivity, as you kind of slowly move towards the center of the space station. Yeah. And it's very small corridors. But every time you come over to a portal, you get this huge expanse of space yeah. kind of outside, and you can just see how vast this place is. Yeah. Um, and it uses a, a kind of narrative replay system where basically moments of the ship's history has been recorded in the AI of the ship mm -hmm. and you uh, you have the opportunity to kind of discover and play it back but it happens all across the ship so one kind of timeline you'll have to watch many times over because there'll be people in one room you have to go listen to their conversation and work at how it relates to other conversations um, and it's actually really intimidating because the scale of it I've just been in one room and I spent two hours in that room trying oh, to work out what wow. was going on. Sounds awesome. Yeah. It's another kind of, I can't play this game because... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just time, no time. some time restraints and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading week. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. Mm. So um, uh, with that said, sort of you, you sparked uh, something in my mind when mm. you were talking about that great entryway. And we were sort of briefly discussing this, me and Ben, the other day about how Bioshock does something very similar to mm. this and where sort of like the very first scene, have you guys... Uh, have Which one? The original Bioshock. No, you have not. Okay. okay. So not going to ruin anything. Uh, I will throw in a reference in a moment. But um, sort of uh, when you first enter Bioshock, you go into... I mean, the fir very first scene of the game is you're in a plane and you crash in the water and then you get to this lighthouse sort of thing and you get in what's the, called a bathysphere and sort of this enclosed environment where you're sort of introduced to a character who asks you, you know, would you kindly help him out with different things? And it's, it's, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting how they sort of pull you into that world and completely turn it on its head. And I think that that's why something like that's so effective is because it essentially uses these ideas of, if, if, as long as you are completely invested in the world, if they turn it on its head, it's completely effective. If you didn't care about what was going on, it wouldn't matter. Uh, but at the same time, something like that in a game that has a very specific narrative twist about two-thirds of the way through, it's effective, I think, because of that. And it's something that I'd like to explore maybe a little bit further. So um, so there's, I think it's, there's, I mean, like the, I think the best example of that, or kind of the one that's used a lot, is the original Half-Life game. Yeah. Where you're restricted to a train, you can't really move about or do anything, but yeah. you're forced to see an, a kind of a series of vignettes. Yeah establishing your environment yeah and i think it's you see it in lots and lots of games after that yeah where they make you see the world before they let you kind of go out and explore it right it happens yeah. in modern warfare as well. oh really i don't know if you've played it mm -hmm. modern warfare the uh, first one so call of duty 4, Call of duty 4 yeah. yeah yeah first bit where you're in the car and then you see oh yeah 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 huh. yeah, yeah. Huh. It's like there's little scenes here and there. You can turn your head. Yeah, right. You can yeah. do. Yeah, your hands are tied and you're in the car. Just... Yeah, it really reminds me of like uh, in in fairgrounds when you go in like a tunnel of love or a ghost yeah. train or something like that. It's a similar thing. You're in a kind of static thing. You're moving slowly for an environment, and then you've got things you kind of look at left and right. But it's a device that you kind of see crop up over and over yeah. again. You know, it's interesting, sort of like we talk about this idea of sort of like being in a ride and being able to look around. Uh, we've been talking, Tommy and I are part of the same group in a virtual reality class where we did a presentation recently on mm -hmm. Resident Evil 7, uh, which we, we sort of like, I, I have the PlayStation VR at my house, we went over and played it. Uh, but most of the game is played from a seated position. Personally, I think I think it works really well. Uh, but a lot of times you're in those 
sequences, sort of the cutscenes in the game are represented in such a way where it does really very much feel like a ride in a weird kind of way. Because you're restricted because you can't move around. You're just sort of seeing what happens to you. Um, and as effective as it is, it's sometimes a little frustrating that you've lost your sense of movement. Um, and I think that that's something worth playing around with, that the, you know, exploring sort of this idea that you can't move. Why? Why is that important? That it kind of like emphasizes that your only method of interaction with the world is your head movement. Yeah. Even though like you're not inputting anything, you're you're deciding where to look. It's it's kind of like a because I, I played a what remains of Edith Finch. Uh, that game is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me of that, but in that game you can move about. Yeah. And you can move your head and look at stuff, but it's still quite a linear experience. Yeah. Sort of like a roller coaster or something, because you can yeah. only follow this path. Mm. Right. Whereas something like Gone Home or something, you can like walk about a bit, and then yeah. you don't have to like go to each room in the same order as someone else would. Exactly. And so, so there's a little bit more freedom. I do want to sort of maybe now that I've got a chance to talk. What remains? Uh, so what remains of Edith Finch? To make sure that I say that loudly and clearly mm. is one of my favorite games I've played this year by far. Uh, and the reason being is is that it does a lot of really interesting things with telling stories. There's uh, essentially sort of like the crux of this game. It's a narrative-based experience, very similar to something like Gone Home uh, that we've been discussing, and I would imagine also uh, similar to Tacoma in a way. Uh, but what they do is they sort of build this game out in a series of vignettes. And at first, you start very similarly in a very, you know, you, you are going home mm. to this house that you've left behind. Uh, you know, it's almost very similar to Gone Home in a sense that you're this woman who sort of like goes home to sort of see this house in the middle of a forest. And there's a lot of similarities, but I think what's really interesting is they use these different similarities to other experiences to really take uh, the genre and the, 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 their ability to tell stories in different ways. So the game plays out in a series of vignettes where you're taking on the roles of different characters of people who have died in this house, essentially your family yeah. members. And I don't want to spoil it because it really does some interesting things as, uh, ways of telling stories in different ways. There's a sequence in there in it with a bathtub, and maybe it might be worth maybe revisiting this. Um, we're looking at ways to potentially do live streams and some other discussions, and I'd, I'd love to use this as an example of probably one of the most powerful two minutes I've played in a game in a long time. Is it is available this on PC? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, nice. So that, that, that game is fantastic. I mean, it takes maybe four or five hours to complete the whole thing. Um, but it's, uh, it's excellent. And, and it, it, it does so by really sort of... There's a sequence in the game that takes place in the form of a comic book. So they're yeah. using this way of sort of like this progression of different mediums mm -hmm. that are compositional to the sort of idea of how video games are told and stories in video games are told to explore different aspects of that. Mm -hmm. And it does an extraordinarily good job of it. And it's, it's, it's such a cool game. I, I can't highly recommend it enough. So... Um, Cool. Um, I think I've got a bit on a tangent there. There are a few more topics that I'd like to discuss, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick little break here so that people can use the restroom, and we'll see you in a few minutes. All right, we are back from break, and we're actually going to talk about what remains of Edith Finch a little bit more. I've got two other classmates of mine here with me. I've got... Doruk. And... It's a uh, who have also played What Remains of Edith Finch, and I really wanted to sort of have them share their experiences as well, so we've got a little bit more time to talk about this. So, uh, Edza, what, what, what would you say has been, has been the, the thing that struck you most when playing the game? Uh, well, the most thing that affected me while playing was like, 
uh, I don't want to spoil exactly, but like there was a scene that you are seeing from a point of a baby's yeah. eyes. That was super good. And yeah. also you were seeing from point point of a um, cat's eyes, I guess. Yeah. So you're, you're like experiencing a bunch of different lives and that was super interesting for me. Yeah. Uh, Duruk, how, how about yourself? What did what did you like most when playing the game? So uh, I played Mo Gone Home and What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, I would say uh, What Remains of Edith Finch do- does what Gone Home does, but it does it better because okay. it has like better gameplay. Yeah. Uh, I would say uh, like both of them have brilliant stories, but like how you express a story, I I feel like What Remains of Edith Finch it does it in a way that's really unique. It yeah. creates like all these mechanics for different uh, memories, like different flashbacks. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think like it just makes it uh, more superior, and it could like guide the genre in that way. That uh, like I- instead of just having texts, you would have you would live these stories with like different gameplay mechanics. Yeah. Uh, you can introduce like a game element into it. Yeah. So I, I feel like that that would be really interesting to see like other games do that. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because I I prefer Gone Home. Uh, okay. Because um, either Finch just feels like it's 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 one whole story, but it feels like different games inside. It does, mm-hmm. and it kind of takes away the main thing I like about games, which is interactivity and agency. Okay. Because in Gone Home, I can go any direction I want, any room I want, and discover the story for myself. Right. Which I really like, but in mm-hmm. either Finch, I have to play the story this way. Right. It's linear, to, right? Yeah, it's it's linear, and I. I prefer that games don't be linear and allow the player more agency to do what they want. Yeah. In in prey, it's sort of like that as well. Yeah. Um, you're kind of given like clues to go look over here or something. You don't have to do it, but if you want to, you can you, you can like, kind of piece piece the story together in your head. Yeah. I really like that sort of thing. Yeah, I I think sort of this idea of player agency is so important, especially when we're talking about a medium like games, because it's one of the things that it does and it has of its own that's really unique. Uh, especially, you, you know, you look at something sort of like nonlinear narratives, in a sense, are mm-hmm. something that's unique to the medium, mm-hmm. at least for now. Yeah. I know um, Netflix is playing around with, I think there's like a Puss in Boots uh, show <laughs> of some kind that you can sort of have some sort of choice and effect on. I haven't played around with this yet, but I saw it. Never heard it, was, it, was, it was weird because like, yeah, I was looking through sort of like Netflix's sort of like things and it's the only one, you know how like all the uh, TV show images are static, right? Yeah. This was moving? It's weird. Anyway, I'll, I'll look into it, maybe see if this, how this actually plays. But yeah, so there's, there's sort of like a, it's a choice-based narrative television show that they're working around with. And I think Netflix might be exploring other ideas there as well. Uh, but for the most part, this, this idea of sort of agency as a character, and it's explored at different levels through different games, uh, is something that I think that games has, or other playable experiences really have that's unique uh, to the medium. And I think that that's a really powerful ex- uh, tool for expression. So I see exactly what you mean by that, Billy, when you're saying that you like that particular experience better. Uh, but I think that both are valid. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. mean, it's sort of like a trade-off, right? You can't have a, like a really nice tailored experience like in either Finch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's kind of, you get like really good vignettes in that that are really impactful. But in Gone Home, it's more like the scenes mm-hmm. play out in your head. And yeah, like the design relies on your imagination to fill in mm-hmm. the, the gaps. But I, I think it... The um, the story of Edith Finch stuck more with me, especially oh, right. especially the last one with the, with yeah, the, yeah. Uh, be, it's the, it's like a tailored experience. The fish, yeah. yeah, they're cutting the fish. 
Yeah. Oh, good. And not only <laughs> yeah. with that, that yeah. was so, the way was, was so good, yeah. yeah. I don't want to say too much about it, but... Yeah, the, the very last sequence, the, the, there, there are some great experiences in that game, and I think it was really cool to sort of, you know, just get a chance to talk about that. Um, you know, yeah, because I haven't had a chance to talk to you guys about this, and we sort mm -hmm. of, like, uh, you know, uh, we're talking about Edith Finch. Have you guys been playing any games recently that you've been really enjoying? Um, recently? I didn't play it recently, but... Uh, it's kind of similar to Eden Finch. I mean, Life is Strange is not yeah. similar, but they are both story-based games and they are both very successful. Yeah. But for Life is Strange, I guess it's more successful maybe because no, it's not it's like a linear or how to say. I, did, I think like Edith Finch got like better Metacritic grades. I mean, it's visuals. Right story and all things are very good but for life is strange um its advantage is kind of like the atmosphere you are mm -hmm. able to choose your yeah you've got choices all choices etc mm -hmm. that's the only difference for me between those sure two so that's that's another example of a really good narrative focused player agency based game so so for people that are listening that haven't played life is strange why don't you describe how you play well i was like very stressing, like, what should I choose? I, I, I like, uh, it was so hard for me because yeah. in normal, my, my normal life, I'm kind of struggling with uh, choosing choices. Like, I'm always like becoming like very stressful. Yeah. I'm like, what if I choose this one? What if I choose this one? So it's, it was kind of hard for me. Yeah. Even if if it's actually um, not a hard game, but yeah, you can still like <laughs> I'm very stressed. Like yeah, <laughs> you know. you internalize those choices in a big way, huh? Yeah, I mean yeah, they feel real. <laughs> yeah. I mean it's just it's like oh my oh my god, this thing is gonna happen if I do this, or or what's gonna happen? Am I gonna anger my friend? I've I've played maybe the first three episodes. Have you gone all the way through? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, after episode three, yeah. I don't know, don't know what episode three is. I can't remember, but there's a bit. That it gets really. Weird? Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, some people say, like, uh, I didn't like it, the game, etc., but they are just playing the first episode, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, after second episode, it's become It doesn't more... have a very strong start, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 I agree. I, I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. I mean, like, it, it depends on sort of, like, I mean, a, a lot of those episodic-based games, we should probably discuss that. Life is Strange and its prequel... Uh, occur as an episodic series. Yeah. Uh, I believe there's five episodes in Life is Strange, and then Life is Strange Before the Storm, That's I think is the name, is the That's prequel. prequel, prequel. Yeah. And that has three episodes, yeah. I believe. Um, they are, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and sort of because they play through this and sort of, maybe this is where I'm talking about, this idea of the iterative, iterative game design that we've been talking about in class recently, they're able to adjust yeah. and sort of mm -hmm. add new play experiences based on player feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's really unique and really cool about episodic game design. Mm -hmm. uh, but with that said, that first episode, I think at least narratively starts out really strong. And for people that haven't played this, it's a, it's a game where you're a young woman who's in a sort of prestigious high school in Oregon, I think, yeah. or maybe yeah. it's Oregon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, like Portland or something like that. And, um, you know, you start off the game learning about this idea of this rewind mechanic that you can do to sort of reverse yep. sequences and sort of play through them. And you start off in the game by basically going through, it's very much like watching a weird TV show about being in high school and you go to a bathroom and you're, 
you're freaked out, you're a teenage girl, and then all of a sudden somebody gets shot. And I thought that was a pretty strong opening, because like all of a sudden it's just like, oh, wow, like what's going on here? And, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, with that said, like, I mean, the rest of the episode does sort of like have its growing pains, but I think narratively it has a really strong start. So that's what hooked me. No, that definitely hooked me as well. But I mean, like after the, that, first, that initial moment where yeah. that person was shot, I kind of wanted it to go more in a supernatural hey, what's going on in the direction? Why yeah. can I turn back time? Well, then it just kind of turned into like a, like a high school drama sort yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, oh, okay. And then by episode two, it starts to get more. Yeah. And it picks up from that, which I really think, like you said, they kind of learned from the, the, the first episode. I mean, the second episode even better by like iterating mm-hmm. that, that sort of design um, mentality. Yeah. I, I, I loved the, the fact that it was partially high school drama, though, because, like, I think it's a sort of expression that isn't as often yeah. uh, displayed because these are the types of experiences in games that we don't have as much. So this is, like, has anybody else here played per- the Persona games? No. Okay. Um, they are some of my favorite games. Uh, they're, they're Japanese role-playing games. Uh, Persona 5 came out recently. It's very stylistic. If I were to recommend one, I'd probably say Persona 4 was my favorite. But they do a very good job of sort of having this 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 crazy supernatural sort of game idea exist at the same time as this really interesting idea of going through life as a high school student. Mm-hmm. So you build relationships with other characters in the game. You go through daily life where actually the story uh, of the game actually takes place over the course of the year. And you've got tests and you go to class and you have to answer questions and and things happen and really crazy events occur um they're they're i'll warn you this may not be something to do during the course (laughs) probably during one of the breaks because they usually take about 100 hours or so but it's worth it's worth definitely checking out because those games are fantastic so um cool uh with that said duruk have you been playing anything recently that you've been really enjoying so it's not that recently but uh, i played hollow knight Oh, that great! Okay, cool. Like it, it was it was like a really hard game. Yeah. And it was like a game for me to just accomplish. Like it, it was like an achievement. Yeah. To f- finish it, and I could finish it. Yeah. It took it took me a while. Like every boss just takes a few tries. Like yeah. you, you have to try it at least ten times. Yeah. For nearly any boss. Yeah. And I I found it I found it challenging, and mm-hmm. I I found it fun. Yeah. Because, because like. The point point of it was it being challenging and like the yeah. really good animation, really good cell uh, cell shaded graphics, uh, like cell drawn. Yeah. So like the animations look awesome, uh, really cartoonish and we, like I would say I would say it's kind of similar to Cuphead. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Different yeah, not, not not quite not quite quite the same exactly in terms yeah. of that, but like it's really got a good look to it, mm-hmm. a really good aesthetic to it as well. Um, I think I think how it's made, the animations uh, in Hollow Knight as well, they are like hand drawn each. They yeah. are not rigged, so uh, they ha- they have like these unique animations where yeah. it's, the character is really cartoonish. Yeah, and you can see it in the bosses in uh, Hollow Knight as well, mm. and yeah. much the same you can see it in. Uh, Cuphead as well. Yeah. I think um, I wanted to pick up on your... You mentioned it was difficult. And also Cuphead is quite difficult as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, um, that was, that's as well. I think these sorts of games, like I'm, I'm really attracted to them. Yeah. <laughs> because like, it, once you've actually finished the boss, it gives you this sense of mastery. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. I've spent the time learning it its does. patterns and now I can defeat it. Yeah. Like, and I, I finished Dark Souls 3 a few months ago. So that that <laughs> yeah. game was amazing as well. Yeah. Um, 
I didn't think I'd, I'd enjoy it that much. Yeah. But, um, I'd, I'd spend like um, days on bosses and just... It's like, frustrating, my head about, but like, yeah. when you finally get it, it feels so good. It's rewarding, mm. but frustrating, yeah. so... Yeah. I, I, I think there's, there's, there's a concept, and I was just, just sort of getting back into reading uh, Jane McGonigal's Reality is Broken, but she talks about this idea of Fiero, this, this idea of just sort of like you've gotten to the top of the mountain. You're like, yes, I've beaten the boss. And uh, like, I mean, I definitely sort of both of those, those games sort of like I really loved that experience sort of of, of getting past that, uh, you know, where we've got Hollow Knight, uh, I think is a really good example of this. Like, have, you, have you beaten it, Dora? Yeah, 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 I yeah. finished it. Yeah, <laughs> uh, have you finished it all the way? Did you get past like the extra bosses and stuff? Yeah, okay. I, I, I did. I, I don't know how you managed to do it. <laughs> so there's, there's a challenge room in, in, in there at one point, sort of like an arena where you go through a different kind of boss rush type of thing. And I've been really stuck there. But I think, um, you know, to sort of relate this back to some of the concepts that we've been talking about in class is it's a really good example of challenge versus skill and that relationship between the two of them mm -hmm. creating something called flow and flow is this idea of where you're really focused in what yeah. you're doing and i think both cuphead and uh, we did talk about cuphead last week mm -hmm. and hollow knight are really good modern examples of that and hollow yeah. knight is a uh, sort of a metroidvania style 2d platforming mm -hmm. game where you're gaining powers as you're going through a big maze-like world um uh, which which I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So um, sort of to, to flip things back around, just to sort of get that, because we're getting close to the, the sort of end of the podcast here, uh, I wanted to ask, uh, so we've got sort of two examples of really difficult games that you guys have played. Uh, Edza, have you played a game that you've really enjoyed that was difficult, something that really sort of uh, you got really into? I also played Hollow Knight, but not till the end. Okay. I just beat the first boss, okay. and then then I stopped. Like, okay. and for the beating the first boss, I spent I guess five or six hours. Really? I I'm really bad at playing platform games. Okay. And, and I enjoyed them, but then I thought like, I'm not able to do that. Then. Yeah. It's like, but still, it was so good. And uh, actually, first I started to play that because I liked it style and visuals yeah. etc but then i mean it was was i don't know it was very challenging okay i struggled a lot yeah i enjoyed a lot as well but then i don't know i mean there was there were other things that i should do mm. so i just couldn't uh, yeah I, I definitely get that because I, I tried to get my friend into dark souls 3 as well <laughs> yeah dark souls game and he couldn't get past the first boss yeah and he'd spent like two days on it. And he, he really wanted to get into it because we were playing it and we were telling him about it. But he couldn't get past the first bit. And then he, he sort of had that feeling that I'm, I'm spending too much time on this now. Maybe it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. going on to play something else. But I think once you get past that first bit, that hit that you get is like, yeah, you don't get that from other games. No. And that's a problem because sometimes you never get to that. You just, yeah. you just keep climbing the mountain and never get to the top. Yeah. So... I think that's definitely something which is sort of similar. But you managed to beat the first boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which is a triumph in and of yeah. itself. Yeah, it really is. Like that's a hard game. Yeah, yeah that was. Cool. All right. Well, uh, so with that said, I think what I'd like to do is talk about one last thing. There's there's a game that I've been playing that I wanted to share with people, and I just started playing it this morning. I want to talk about it briefly before we end the podcast here. Uh, but it's Bury Me, My Love uh, by Plug In Digital, I believe is the name of the... Yep, uh, Plug In Digital is the name. Now, that's released today, at least on iOS, I believe also on the Google Play Store, although I'm not 100% certain of that. And it's a game about Syrian refugees basically taking place 
in text conversations um, that thus far uh, has been really striking. And I've, I've been really enjoying it. So we've been talking about sort of narrative choice in games and how player agency affects this. And, and, and some of the things that just in the very initial parts that I've been playing uh, that have been really effective are first these sort of text conversations that they have feel real. Uh, which is really cool because it's got, I wonder if I can pull it up here and sort of show you guys. And uh, for those that are listening, I know you can't um, see this, uh, but what I'm doing is I'm pulling up the game right now. and I've actually got a response here. The game takes place in real time and you can adjust this as you're, or in the options menu, how fast things happen. I remember this morning, um, you're having a conversation, at least the game sort of starts off. You're having a conversation with a woman who I believe is your lover. Um, that uh, is on her way trying to get out of Syria. And she's got her passport and she's got her visa and she's supposed to take a taxi uh, to get across the border into Turkey. And right now she's actually talking to me here because I've got some stuff here. And uh, you'll get these notifications. I remember I got a notification before our class this morning and she was like, crap. And I was like, oh no, I have to answer something. And you know, because I bought into this experience, like I felt like it was real. I felt really bad about not being able to interact and sort of respond because it's like, well, I can't do anything for the next three hours. Like, and there's this person that's, that's like freaking out because her taxi is not there. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's just really interesting how it sort of uh, combines these aspects of the real world with mm -hmm. sort of things that are reminding you because the interface for this sort of text messaging program very much is like WhatsApp. Yeah. You can see sort of like the little two check boxes when they've seen things. Um, <laughs> you can see emoji, which which is also really excellent because this is the first game. You can see very at the, at the very bottom you've got text answers, a picture answer, and a little emoji response. And sort of the way that you interact with the game, mm -hmm. at least in the first like you know maybe hour or so of the experience, is you you choose replies. Uh, either text, I haven't had an opportunity to take a picture yet, or emojis. And the game actually does, it's the first ex um, game that I've ever played where it's used emojis effectively as a response. Like I remember she was uh, like, uh, saying earlier on in the conversation about how she's got like a, a large amount of money that's only uh, not a very large amount of money in, 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 um, uh, in euros. And you know, she, she's like, oh, I feel like a millionaire right now. And then you can, one of the options uh, you can respond in text is like, oh, well, that's only like 2,300 euro. Or like you can use an, emo an emoji that's like a champagne bottle, <laughs> which, which I thought was really cool. And it's sort of like, it's, it seems really interesting. So I've, I've been really happy about it, not just because it seems like a really yeah, authentic experience, but also because it really does have a good message mm. at translating what this experience of being a refugee is uh, and I'm excited to see more. So I, I, I would strongly recommend people that are interested in taking a look at this. This is something that we were looking at in, um, we, we covered uh, Indicade, uh, which was an indie exposition that happened in Los Angeles a few weeks ago uh, in one of our classes. Um, our uh, professor, Phoenix Perry, was uh, there present at that. Um, and so she came back with all these really cool stories and sort of told us about these different games. And... Uh, yeah, so uh, definitely sort of pointing me in this direction. I think it's definitely worth it. It's, it's really easy to get into, and I, I would be curious to see how your experiences with that go. So um, with that said, um, I think we're almost at 45 minutes, so I'm going to do some house cleaning thing here. I know I've talked quite a bit a little bit here, so I just wanted to sort of go over a few bits of feedback and talk to the listeners to let them know how they can reach us in the future. So first off, we did get some feedback last week. Uh, one of the things that I'd like to address specifically, someone that who's not a native English speaker has asked uh, if I could put a list of games in the podcast. And right now, uh, 
I'm not sure how to do that. I'm open to ideas. If you've got ideas, uh, we've got an email address that you can send in. Basically, uh, I'm, ho- uh, I'm happy for suggestions there. We're in the process of building a, a, a very basic website for us to share the podcast. If we do any Twitch or YouTube videos and maybe some articles that showcase our work, uh, that's probably going to take, you know, before we're up and running with the whole sort of concept here, it might take a month or two for us to really get up and running as a lot of us are really busy. Uh, with that said, I'd like to sort of see if I can find a way to get that integrated either into the show notes for the podcast or on this website. And it is something that I'm thinking about. So I just wanted to say that the feedback has been heard and it, it, it is taken into account. Uh, secondly, uh, we had some sort of feedback that we're talking about specific sort of like you know requests for more voices on the podcast. And I do want to say that that's something that's extremely important to me, having a diverse set of uh, voices on this podcast. Um, uh, just because that share of ideas from people with different experiences that have lived in different areas uh, is critical, I think, to developing not only sort of individual games, but to the strength of the game industry worldwide as a whole, and for us as human beings. So uh, I, I want to make sure that people who are listening also, that feedback has been heard, and I'm extremely enthusiastic about getting more people in here. So we're working on our first interviewee. Uh, and there are some other things that I've got working in the future that I will, you know, hopefully be getting quicker as we get uh, get better and better at this. But again, as as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, this is for a lot of us our very first podcast. Um, and lastly, um, I uh, I wanted to say that you can reach us uh, next week around this point in the podcast. We'll be taking questions, and you can reach us at contact. That's C O N T A C T at playfulexperiences.com. That's contact at playfulexperiences.com. And we'd love to hear your questions. We'll probably take 15 to 20 minutes to, uh, to answer them then as well. And uh, yeah, so if you've been liking us, you've been listening to us on SoundCloud or iTunes or Stitcher, please leave us a review. We really appreciate the attention and any feedback that you can give. It will help us grow. It will help us learn. It will help us help you learn as well. Uh, I want to say thank you very much to all of my lovely uh, uh, sort of uh, talkers. Uh, uh, Ben and Tommy, if you can come over here too as well. Uh, They're sort of hanging out here. We're all going to say goodbye here. And um, thank you uh, to our listeners for for taking the time to sort of explore this journey with us and and play some games and do some cool stuff. And uh, yeah, this has been really fun. So uh, without further ado, have a wonderful weekend. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.